0: Hey, last week I just shared a little bit. I'm filling in for Orlando today. He had some kind of schedule booth, so I texted him on uh, Stan's phone just a little bit ago to see if he's going to be here next week. I don't know if he is or not, but we'll, we'll have something uh, through Bonnie or something so you'll know if you need to be here for Sunday school next week, or you can go to another Sunday school class if there's nothing going on here. Anyway, last week I shared with you that... Uh, idea of the gift of God and the gift of the Son, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't get to finish everything there, but I wanted to remind you one thing I wrote down there. It's kind of an interesting factoid, I guess you'd say. In Exodus chapter 28, there's this, this uh, big outline of the clothing that the high priest war that uh, was prepared for them as as they'd go into the holy places they were doing all the ministry they did and the garment that he had the the cloak that he had uh that went all the way to the ground was interesting on on the fringe of that cloak there was a golden bell and there was a pomegranate not a real pomegranate but a fashioned and uh, out of something so there's a golden bell and a pomegranate all the way around the the base of that and so when he'd go in and out of the his service there would be a jingling you know some, some people say, theologians, some the, theologians say that was to know if he died in there and quit jingling, that they had a rope tied around his leg and they could drag him out because nobody else would go in there. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that, but I guess tradition attests to that. But anyway, there's this interesting fact, thinking about that golden bell, because if I, you know, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels who have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And But still, you're, you're to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I believe that's why Paul structured 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14, the way that he did. He's got a whole chapter, chapter 12, on the gifts of the Spirit of God. Then he's got this, the, the epitome of the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 13, love. Then he goes back again to the gifts of the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, how they're to operate within the body. And so this garment that the high priest wore, had symbols of that it had a, a golden bell, The gifts of the Spirit and had a pomegranate the fruit of the Spirit all the way around the base of that hymn and that's the way that you and I are that the gift that God has given us of life in the Holy Spirit he brings the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit when it's not an either or thing it's not an issue of well do we emphasize the gifts or do we emphasize you know the, the fruit no we don't emphasize either one we receive both as what God intends them to be because we are a royal priesthood we're called to minister to God on behalf of of other people to bring offerings to him and to bring the knowledge of him out to those that are outside the, the fellowship of the church. And so we have the gifts and the spirit. So that's kind of an interesting kind of meditation to think about that. So I'm, an encouragement to, to do what Paul says, to earnestly desire the gifts of the spirit, but everything to be done in love. Okay. So that's, that's uh, good stuff. So anyway, we're, I want to look today about the gift who keeps on giving. So I looked that up. You ever look up stuff on Google? Where'd that come from? And so I looked up the gift that keeps on giving, and they don't really know where it came from, but they think it's early century advertising, early 20th century advertising, some product, and then a whole bunch of products that adopted that. So you get the gift that keeps on giving, like a diamond, ladies. The diamond keeps on giving a monthly payment, as your husband, you know, keeps on giving a monthly payment. So, but but something you know, something like a. A new car keeps on giving until it breaks down and it keeps taking or something. But the gift that really keeps on giving is in the person of Jesus Christ. So I, I get this quote here from Job. It says, uh, Job is complaining. He says, for God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to the trial together. There is no arbiter between us who may lay his hand on us both. Isn't that an interesting thought? But there is now in Jesus, isn't there? There is a man who is God, who lays a hand on both God and us. And now we have this perfect arbiter, this perfect mediator that's come between us. And that's where, that's the that's a Jacob's ladder vision, you know, that, that Jacob has. And, and what Jesus mentions in John chapter 1, that in Jesus, there's a coming and going of grace and mercy of need and giftings up and down the life of Jesus. And so he's the gift that really keeps on giving. So when you think about the word Advent, so we're celebrating four weeks. You celebrate four weeks of Advent, and unless Sunday is on a Sunday, I mean, excuse me, unless Christmas is on a Sunday, we, then we have five weeks or five days in Advent. But, but there's these four Sundays leading up to Advent, which means the coming or the arrival so we 're thinking about the coming, the arrival of Jesus, but we 're not just that, that, that arrival really the emphasis uh, that arrival's already happened didn 't it, and the second advent couldn 't happen if the first one hadn 't happened, we 've already passed the first one, but we think about that we 're reminded of that, but we 're really looking forward to the second advent, and not only that we 're aware of the fact that uh, and i 'll give you this example i 've gotten here about like the coming of the automobile about. 1880s i think maybe mercedes or somebody like that 1880s they came up with this car and so the car came and it absolutely changed culture you know we can't really even imagine what some of y'all kind of know a little bit you know if you were kids in the early 30s or something i wouldn't i can barely remember that uh you might you might remember that cars weren't near what they are now but you still moved around freely with a car you know the roads might not have been too good but you could Get in there and go, but the automobile absolutely transformed our society, and it, it it doesn't transform us so much anymore, except maybe our bank account. But but it did transform. So we celebrate the advent of the automobile and the presence of the automobile. So it's great to have a car you can get in, and go when you want to go. You go to the United and get a sandwich or whatever you want to do. And there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of a lot of independence that was granted that people never knew before. And so it is with Jesus. He came, but now he's still present. Even as we expect his second advent, as we look forward to that, not only has he arrived; he's here now. And uh, so, I just wanted to kind of sh- share a little bit out of out of Hebrews, kind of a meditation on this 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 book. Uh, chapter three says this about about Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So, this is really this is where we're supposed to. Consider, this is where our thoughts are supposed to be focused, uh, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, as it says in chapter 12. But consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our calling. And so when we talk about the advent of Christ and when we talk about Christmas, uh, I just wanted to look at kind of four aspects of that. The first is who it is. We don't know a whole lot about the how of the advent except the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived and we probably wouldn't even understand it if god explained it to us we wouldn't understand how that worked you know we might have some words for it but so we're not so much about how did that work we just know that god did that just as he created he created life in the womb of mary by the presence of the holy spirit Uh, but he does talk about who this one is the identity of jesus of nazareth this is crucial to us in the gospel because what we believe about the person of Jesus has everything to do about enjoying eternal life, because the Mormons talk about Jesus, don't they? And even Islam talks a lot about Jesus. They talk more about uh, Jonah and John the Baptist, but they talk about Jesus in the, in the Koran, and the Jehovah's Witnesses talk about Jesus. So a lot of people talk about Jesus, but if they don't know the Jesus of the Bible not the, not the New World Translation, but a reliable translation. If they don't know that Jesus, then they really don't have any understanding or access to eternal life. And so it's important that we, we really know and that we have grounded understanding of who this Jesus is that came. And so Hebrews chapter 1 tells us some about him. I just want to read that to you and, th- and think about it in a minute. It says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe that you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And what what a chapter! What a chapter defining and telling us who Jesus is. And that this has been written to us in the last days. So here we are, 2,000 years of living in the last days. You know, we're talking about eschatology or what's going to happen in the end times. Well, what's happening is Jesus is ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand. And this is spoken to us in a way that's just astounding. You know, a lot of theologians think that Hebrews is just one single sermon. And, and I've read it from the pulpit a couple of times as a sermon that couple of different churches it takes about 35 minutes to read the book of hebrews in a you know kind of the, the speed that i read and uh, this sermon is presenting first of all who jesus is and he's the co-equal of the, of the father so i wrote down some things here that you pick up pretty easily in reading that chapter he's the son of god the heir of all things a co-creator radiance of god's glory exact imprint he's equally god he upholds all of creation, superior of angels, ruler of the kingdom of God, eternal, immutable. He's the conquering king. This is the one who came. This is the one who showed up that night, you know, and it was placed in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. This is, this is the one who was there. that's a very mysterious thing. And conceived by the Holy Spirit. So you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit at work in bringing this good news. And as uh, Howard is sharing this morning, if you were in the 830 service, he'll share it again and Eleven, but every time you see an angel show up in scripture it's a it's an overwhelming experience, and yet Jesus is infinitely superior to Gabriel or Michael or any of those guys that just scare the pants off of any of the people in the bible that that met him you know this is the the one true God Jesus is God showing up to do this work of redemption so that, that's an amazing thing to consider, and so in him you can you can see that uh he is the gift that truly keeps on giving. He's the same later in Hebrews, going to say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been giving, he'll always be giving, and he's the one who becomes incarnate. So the reason he becomes incarnate, uh, or the way that he does that is he becomes our equal, which is an astounding thing to consider. That's always a great meditation. But the advent, if you look at point number two I've got down there, what, what it means in this idea of Jesus putting on the flesh of man, God becoming a man, and uh, taking the form of a servant. And as Anna read this morning out of Philippians, you know that he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so God becomes incarnate in Christ Jesus. And it says this in chapter 2 about this incarnation. There's a warning between points 1 and 2. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So there's this call. There's, there's four warnings in the book of Hebrews and this is the first one. We have to pay closer attention to this salvation, to this incarnation of God because there's, there's not another thing coming down the pike. You know, God has finally spoken to us and this is His final word. So when we listen to what God would say, really, ultimately, what He'll say is, Jesus, look to Him. Consider Him focus your attention on him and realize that you have to do this why because we have a tendency to drift don't we it's like getting into a canoe on the canadian river you have to have some high water i guess but you can do it in a few places but the canadian river flows you know it's hard to believe the canadian river flows but if you get in there on a on a canoe And you don't have a paddle, you're going to drift, aren't you? You're just going to kind of go with the flow. And we have that tendency to to be acted upon. And and certainly we have to be acted on in life. That's part of life. But if we allow that to do everything, then we're just kind of pushed and pulled by a lot of different voices, a lot of different things. But the voice we really need to be listening to, the word that we really need to focus on is Jesus. Because he is who chapter 1 says. You know, he's eternal, immutable. He rules over the angels. He upholds all the universe by the word of His power. He is God, and His throne is forever and ever. And so all that we can see, all that we really live in and buy physically, these things are passing away with the using. But this kingdom that God has established, an unshakable kingdom that He established in sending Christ Jesus, it, it doesn't get moved. It doesn't shake. It doesn't rattle. Earthquakes don't affect it, you know. High tides don't get on the, don't destroy it somehow. Tornadoes can't touch it. Disease doesn't have any kind of impact on it. And it's the kingdom that Jesus rules in and that God's called us to. And so we're called to really pay close attention to this. So that definitely means that we become people that are are kind of beavers for the truth of God. We read the Bible. We think on the Bible. We go to church. We get involved in the ministry of God's kingdom on earth. We really focus uh, our best interests energies our best attention on the things that God is and the things he's about because these are the things that are lasting not the other stuff you know we do other things too we have to God knows that but he says if you get this part right all the other things will fall into place and so it's necessary that we have these these kind of warnings every once in a while even though we may belong to God by faith in Christ Jesus we still need to be warned so that we don't drift from that. Does that mean that we, we can somehow drift out of the grip of God? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that we can really defile and lose our purpose in life and start building with straw and wood rather than the precious things that come through faith. And so we have this kind of a warning that comes. So the temptation, I was thinking about this. Here's the, here's the temptation I have. You probably have it. Temptation is to make church and life in general about us, what we like, you know, what, what is convenient, What's comfortable and profitable for us in order to make us feel better about ourselves? So, church can, can become kind of a self esteem refueling station that we try to use for ourselves. We try to use church for ourselves, but church is not about using it for ourselves. God certainly equips us and He pours into our life in church, but that's so that we can be fruitful in the knowledge of Him and the life that we're living, not so that we feel more comfortable. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy that was here for the eco they had there was a state eco meeting I guess the state eco meeting in September and this guy named Greg Ogden was here and he's he's a discipleship guru and really really a wise man boy just a tremendous uh, guy great vision for multiplying the church and so when they when they finished talking they were kind of packing up and everything I went up there just to tell him I really appreciate you know that you shared with us you took your time that you've studied this for years you got a great handle on this and and so we were talking a little bit more, and I said something about uh, how idols get in the way, you know, of discipling and stuff. And I said, one of my favorite idols is comfort. You know, I really like to be comfortable. Y'all like to be comfortable? I like things to go my way, you know. And I can carry that into the church, and I can carry that into my relationship with God. You know, I'm only come to Him for comfort and the things that concern me, and I want it to be about me. You know, I want the, I want the preaching to be about me. I want the music to be about me. I want, you know, I want everything to be about me. Denise is like that, too. And so are you, probably, you know. But that's not, what, that's not what this is about. And so the first chapter of Hebrews says, this is what it's about. So pay close attention to this great salvation that God's given to you because you have a tendency to drift away. Anybody ever drifted? You ever drifted for maybe years at a time? Anybody drifted for like years at a time, maybe lost a couple of decades? Now you look back and say, man, I wish I would have paid more attention. I think about that periodically it's a good thing God's merciful, isn't it? That's why He's easy to live with. But I was just I was talking to God the other day in my prayer life and I said, Boy God, I wish I would have studied your word better over the last forty years. Think I could I could really have a grip on a lot of stuff that I've just and I don't have the mind for it anymore, you know what I mean? I don't have the mind to apply to that. But God's merciful. And so there's freshness all the time. There's freshness all the time. Because Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. And he's he doesn't change. And so when we turn to Him, what we find is mercy and patience. He doesn't change. If we're walking away from Him, we may get some big dings, you know, and some difficulties, And but He doesn't change. His mind doesn't change. It's it's us that change, and He wants us to change toward Him, not, you know, not drift or not change away from Him, but to to keep directing our attention to Him. So we have to pay closer attention to that. So why the Advent? I like it. We're we'll going to read this, chapter 2, verse 5. I think it starts in verse 5. Yeah. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we were speaking. It has been a testified somewhere. And that's good if you're a navigator. Anybody take navigator's classes? And you, you memorize a scripture and you say the verse, you say the, the address, then you say the verse, then you say the address afterwards. Well, whoever wrote this just says, it says somewhere. <laughs> I think he's kind of a dumbed-down navigator. It says somewhere, and Paul even said that, so that's good. So if you memorize scripture you don't have to know where it is, I mean it might help you, but you got to Google, don't you? You say if you say a piece of a verse, bang, Colossians two, twelve, you know or, So now it's, it's not the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere what is man and woman that you are mindful of them, or the son of man that you care for them. You made him for a little while lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At, we do not, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Kind of like weather forecasting. That's not in subjection to humanity, is it? We were supposed to have 12 to 14 inches of snow last Monday when we didn't get anything. The best model said some snow. That's the best we could do. But at the present time, we don't see that. We don't see everything in subjection to man. But we see Jesus, we see Him who was for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. This is why the incarnation, that Jesus could come and taste death. He could ingest it, digest it, destroy it, take all the venom out of it. That's why He came. He came to digest death for us, to taste death for us, so that we don't have to taste that wrath of God. We don't have to taste that separation from God. We don't have to taste that penalty for sin. He came to do that. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying... I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So this is, this is the reason why Jesus was incarnate. This is why he came. This is why God spoke in the way that he did that Jesus could identify with us. And as I, so I was thinking about this, and it's, you know, we we give God a tithe, don't we? We give God a tithe of of who we are through our money, through our talents, you know, through through the time that we have. We give God the first fruits of what He gives to us. Jesus gave everything. We, we give, you know, I try to give God time every morning. I get up, pray, read, you know, pray for specific things, pray just for the kingdom of God, for his name to be glorified. Pray for my family, pray for missionaries, you know, read a devotional or two, read a couple of chapters in the Bible. So I try to give God time every morning. But Jesus was just totally given to the Father, 24-7, 365 for 33 years. Never a stray thought, never anything contrary to the will of his his Father. Did he allow to dwell in his mind or, or be spoken with his mouth, never did he listen to things that were contrary to his Father's will without correction into those things. 365, 24 hours a day, 33 years. No, not 8 to 5. He wasn't just a pastor, 8 to 5, or he uh, he didn't just go serve in the soup kitchen on Christmas Day or Thanksgiving, you know, and maybe once a month or something like that. Constantly, constantly he was giving himself to the Father. And that's why we can be redeemed, because someone has fit the bill of what Adam and Eve were created to do, which is to be wholly devoted to the Father. So Jesus can say, I and the children you've given to me, because he's tasted death for us. He came not to tell you, you know, he came to identify with us. He came to know what it's like to be tempted in every way that we're tempted. He came to be under the gun in every way, to face every oppression, every opposition that life affords, and to stay true to the Father. This is why the Incarnation because you and I couldn't do it. There wasn't going to be somebody else coming. Joseph Smith didn't make up any difference. You know what I mean? Mohammed didn't come and fulfill the things where Jesus failed. He didn't do that. And there's not somebody coming down the future that's got a better answer because Jesus spoke all things into creation. He upholds all things by the word of his power and he became like us, but still he was God. Now that's a mystery, isn't it? That's a mystery that he's fully God, fully man, not mixed together not some kind of combination, but both at the same time, fully and completely. And this is why he came, to taste death for me and you. Boy, that's great stuff, isn't it? No wonder, the writer says, pay closer attention to this. This is the root and the groundwork of your relationship with the Father. This is why you're accepted freely. This is why you can come before the Father freely, because Jesus has paid this price and done this work. So we think about this, and as we think about that, Good theology always just brings us to worship, doesn't it? That's what's, that's I think why some of the Christmas hymns are just so profound is because they speak about this incarnation and we're looking at Jesus. And so we sing those and we think, here's God. Luther used to say to people who were afraid of God, to people which was really all of the medieval people, you know, people were afraid of God because they had this picture of God as an ogre who's just ready to grab them and throw them into hell, you know. And Luther felt that same way for years. And finally he saw no, that that God's righteousness that he requires is what he gives to me by faith in Christ Jesus. And that just revolutionized his thinking. And so when he would invite people to come to Jesus, oftentimes he'd say, come to this babe in the manger. Who's afraid of a baby? Who's afraid of a baby? And yet he's God, the creator. Jesus wasn't any different when he was in the crib there, you know, as he was when he was on the cross. He was still God. And so God invites us, don't be afraid, come. And when we see that, when we see God's great condescension, because when I was a kid, I thought like a kid. And I was a weird kid. And I used to think, I still think about this sometimes, but I think about how I thought. And I used to watch insects or something, I used to watch ants, and i go, man, wouldn't that be some of you become an ant? Go down there and live like an ant. I'd think stuff like that, you know. And I think, what is it like that God became like us, that he would condescend that far down, that he came down that far? That's that's an infinite distance, really, to become, the creator becomes a creature for the purpose of making a pathway to us. And so that's why it's so important that we know Jesus, because, you know, without truth and life, there's no way. Without the way, there's no truth in life. And so Jesus became truth in life, and he becomes the way for us to go to truth in life. And we come back to the Father because he was willing to to condescend to us. So between the Advents, we have this intercession. And it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 that, that Jesus ever lives making intercession for us who would draw near to God for salvation. He saves us to the uttermost that's a kind of a neat word i think it's rsb i'm not sure i'm not sure i can't even remember what it says in the r in the esb but i'll look real quick verse 25 says uh, chapter 7 says consequently he's able to save to the uttermost ah must be the best word he saved to the uttermost there's nothing that he can't save us from there's nothing that he can't rescue us from he's they're making intercession because he's the perfect representative now before the Father and we're in him and so we're accepted as he is accepted before the Father. So we live this life with Jesus interceding for us, and that, that's a great that's a great thought when we come to pray, and it that, that Jesus is already there praying for us. The Holy Spirit prays in us and through us and the Father receives those prayers. So we are weak in the flesh. We're very weak in the flesh. So we're praying and Jesus is praying for us that our faith will not fail but that the Spirit will triumph in us. And Jesus' prayers are always going to be answered in the affirmative so we have this great thing. So there's a great, here's a great Advent invitation I think about which we go back chapter 4 and read this. And this is what it says at the, at the end of chapter 4 starting verse 12. It says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the Advent invitation is really believe that, that Jesus has done that, that He is doing that, that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Pray that, and then when you've done that, when you believe that and pray that, repeat that cycle. Believe and pray and repeat, believe and pray and repeat. Jesus is praying for us, so we're confident that we're going to be Free at last, free at last. And we're going to come into the presence of God. The second advent, we won't fall in fear, but we'll rise in praise because of who Jesus is, what He's done for us. So this is a great thing to think about. Hebrews is a good Christmas letter, really. I like it. That's all I've got to share with you. So let's pray and we'll, we'll drink coffee. <laughs> Father, again, we, uh, we bless you, God, for revealing yourself to us, for doing that perfectly and continually. God, we thank you that the freshness of your mercy is known every day as we get up. We wake up to a clean slate, God, that you've provided for us, Lord. You've you've paid an eternal debt, and you've promised an eternal life, God. You've given us an abundance, all in Christ Jesus, who is your last word. So Father, we commit ourselves to him, Lord. We consider him. We want to think upon him, and we pray, Lord, for your grace to do that. We pray for more and more grace, God, to To know all that He is. And God, we pray in a fashion after the Apostle Paul that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, that we might know more fully the hope of our calling, the reality that we are your great inheritance. God, we, your saints, are your great inheritance, your portion. And there's a great power directed toward us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We pray that we might understand these more fully. And we pray, God, for the strength that's necessary to apprehend the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of your love. God, even to know that beyond what we can think or ask, you're willing and have already provided for, and that you will give us all things together with Christ Jesus. Father, we pray to understand that, to see that, God, to let that motivate us to move through us god that we'd even be able to share that as you give opportunity so open effective doors of ministry for us god to be good servants for you in life even as you've served us god may we serve others so we give you this christmas season god we thank you for that thank you for times god we might be able to share with our family and friends just rejoicing in your goodness god and rejoicing in family rejoicing in the gifts that are around us god and especially the reality that we We see them in the light of Christ. So we give you praise now and thanksgiving in Jesus' name.